Welcome, adventurers. If you have not yet listened to episodes 18 and 19, please do so now. For the rest, Quail had just laid down for a long slumber when disrespectful visitors came to his door. Those visitors had meant harm, but now they are the ones in danger. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Pence snarled, masking the terror that sat in her stomach. She always knew that stupid woman's pride and arrogance would get her killed. Watching the dragon drive away the effect of her cloud-kill spell with its infernal wings and blow mockery to the ground, her hands began to shake uncontrollably. The shaking intensified as the dragon turned his head her way and then took to the air and began to fly to where she stood. She turned to run. Havish watched in disbelief as Macri was savaged by the dragon's raw power. Falling in the end, as the dragon took flight, he could not stop shaking, and it was not from the cold. Get a hold of yourself, he thought as he reached for his last two javelins. The first fell short of the target. Throwing the second, he closed his eyes and cast with anger and frustration. To his surprise, he heard the dragon let out a cry. He opened his eyes to see the javelin sticking from the beast's back, just where the wing met its body. But two more strokes of the dragon's wings took it from his view, behind rocks where he knew Pence to be. As repentance began to run, a shadow fell over her, and then searing pain in her shoulder as she felt knife-like teeth leave a vicious wound. She stumbled, and to her surprise, that slip saved her as a claw swung just past her head. Regaining her feet, another burning pain as a claw slashed diagonally across her back. Her fear pounded in her head. She would not escape. Turning to face the dragon, she was swept from her feet and smashed into a boulder as the dragon's tail struck her midsection. She felt her ribs break. Somehow she found her feet, hand pulling a pinch of crushed gemstone from a component pouch at her belt. She crossed her arms in front of her, spoke three quick words of incantation, and threw her arms out and above her, releasing the powdered gem into the air. There was a sparkle and a shimmer, and a bubble flashed into existence, completely covering Pence in a translucent dome. Zarum quickly descended the steps into the hidden chamber below. It was a relatively small room considering the rest of the tower, maybe twenty feet on each side. There was a desk and chair on the one side of the room next to a fireplace that must have had a chimney to the outside somewhere. Another was lined with books on bookshelves. But it was the third wall that interested Zarum. There resided more shelves, but on these were displayed many rare and unique items. If the candles were here, that is where they would be. 
freezing wind picked up again. Havish felt his cheeks burn and blister from the cold. Not since leaving his home at the age of eleven had he felt fear like this. He stumbled down the path. How many had he killed? How many beasts slain? He was the killer. He was the power that crushed the weak and timid. But fear gripped him nonetheless. Was this the end? He forced his shaking legs to carry him down the path, away from the tower. Was he running to help Pence, or running away? He was not sure. A thwomp, thwomp of massive wings. A shadow. The dragon fell from the sky. Havish's long-trained reflexes spun him toward his terrible enemy. He fought off a bite with his shield, deflected a claw with his sword, but the other claw raked his chest, piercing armor and drawing blood. Havish held his sword and shield to the front, but even as he did, the dragon's tail snapped around behind, smashing into his back like a log, knocking the wind from his lungs. The tail recoiled and then came again. Havish made a desperate step to the side, the tail slamming into the ground. The freezing wind picked up again, howling through the rocks like hunting wolves. Havish, still gasping for breath, lunged forward, slashing and stabbing at the beast. Battered and weakened as he was, one blow struck the dragon to no avail, and another missed altogether as the worm arched out of the way. Havish finally pierced the hide, making a small cut across the dragon's front leg. As he recovered his blade, the futility of this set in. Even as the dragon's tail crashed into his helmed head, ears ringing from the blow. Snapping teeth darted in again, but Havish managed to get his shield up. A claw sliced his thigh. His shield lifted all the way over his head, blocking a claw falling from above. As the shield raised, Havish saw his doom. The dragon's tail struck like a battering ram into his chest. He felt the breastplate crumple and his vision blurred. Darkness came on, and only then did he know true fear for the first time. In the absence of vision, he heard hundreds of wailing souls, the souls of his victims, come for revenge. Zarum stood before the shelves, eyes moving from item to item. Were this any other job, every last bit of this would go inside the bag of holding. Who was he kidding? If this was a job he could have pulled off, he would never again have to work a day in his life. But as it was, he wasn't sure how long he had until the dragon came for him. A silver plate that distorted his reflection in an unsettling manner. A small stone statue that no matter how hard he tried, he could not look directly at. A dagger that seemed to whisper. His hand itching to take it. No, none of these. A gold skull on a wood base. A sculpture of three birds in dull silver that vibrated, then stopped intermittently. Something was wrong. The gold skull. He looked at it again. Other than it being gaudy, it was unremarkable in every other way. His eyes flicked to the wood base. It was ornately carved. Zarum reached out his hand. When it was a couple of inches away from the base, he felt an odd, cold sensation. Not a normal cold. 
but a supernatural cold, as if he had just plunged his hand into icy mud. It was greedy, gently tugging at his hand, even though there was nothing to be seen. Zarum carefully removed the skull. It was heavy, most likely solid gold. He dropped it into the bag of holding. Even in a hurry, there was no need to be wasteful. It went against professional decorum. He then took the wood base. It was larger than he expected, three hands aside. He felt along the edges, the sickly cold caressing his hands. Soon he found a well-hidden latch on each side. It was a box. He deftly manipulated the latches, opening the box. A set of six candles lay within. They were made of a dark material that seemed closer to stone than wax. Each was a slightly different length. The wicks looked like fabric soaked in dried blood. As he looked down on them, a vague greenish mist could be seen, twisting and writhing just below their surface. The green light within the centermost candle brightened, and a set of unearthly eyes peered out at him. He snapped the box shut. These were what they had been sent for. Relatching the box, he put that as well into the bag of holding. He sighed as his eyes passed one more time around the room. The riches here, not to mention the chamber above. He sighed again and made for the stairs, quietly making his way up. As his head peered over the floor in the main chamber, he recoiled. The nasty, chilled wind whipped through the chamber, freezing Zarum's face. He waited a moment for the wind to die down, and then made his way again to the main floor. This time he crested the stairs. All was quiet. He crept out toward the massive opening. There was nothing to be seen ahead. Where was the dragon? Where were his companions? When he was twenty feet from the door, the light blotted out. Zarum crouched, his eyes adjusting. Every demon in the hells. It was the dragon. The worm extended its neck and exhaled. Even as he dove and rolled away, freezing shards of ice engulfed his body, blistering, burning, splitting skin. His roll turned into a crash, and he skidded across the stone floor and came to a rest, face down and motionless. Quail smashed his tail down on the body of the arrogant human. He had smelled the death on him when he had opened the front door. The world was better without this man. Turning his head toward the tower, he heard the patter of footfalls and took to flight. Four powerful beats of his wings carried him into the air and over the bridge. Collapsing his wings, he dove quickly down to land on the ledge before his door. As he did, he saw the other human, the one who had tried to pick the lock at his door, freeze in his tracks. He could smell the thief. He had taken something, a whiff of decay on the thieves' hands. The soul candles. He had taken the soul candles. He could not be allowed to leave with such evil. Quail inflated his lungs, drawing an air that passed through him, freezing as it did. He unleashed his breath, engulfing the thief. The thief's body toppled to the floor and came to a stop, motionless. And then, to his dismay, the robber's arm reached into the bag at his side and retrieved something. Quail ducked his head through the entrance, stepping toward the human, who rolled to his back, clapped something to his wrist, and then disappeared. Quail's head swung back and forth.
smelling for any sign. There was none. Quail roared in frustration, spinning about, taking to the air. Maybe the thief had went back to the wizard in the infuriating bubble. His wings carried him to where the magic user had been. She was not there any longer. He flew on. There she was, just a little way from where she had been, attempting to flee. The thief was nowhere to be seen. Quail narrowed his eyes, speeding toward the fire-throwing one. Plummeting from the sky, he snapped at the wizard, biting into flesh. He slashed at her, claws opening new wounds. When his second claw landed, the magic user spun, extending her hand. Quail's head was wreathed in flame for a moment. He snapped his eyes shut and reared back, roaring. He opened his eyes again, finding the wizard. Only too late. She was stepping through a glowing rift, which snapped shut as soon as she had passed through. Quail shot straight up, circling once, eyes scanning in all directions. Five hundred feet down the stone path that led to his tower, a small black shape continued to run. Quail made one more circle before turning toward the fleeing shape and making pursuit. These were not the house guests he would have picked. The bazaar goers in the city of Ardisport screamed and jumped back as the body of Zarm appeared in the middle of the square, next to the lily fountain, flat on his back. Vendors were just starting to close for the afternoon rest, but the square was far from empty. They pointed and talked excitedly as he sat up, a small crowd starting to form. His skin was burned and bruised, and frost, actual ice, melted off him in the heat of the approaching midday. This was quite the happening, and would be talked about for days and weeks to come. Zarum groaned as he pushed himself to his feet, and then, hearing the whistles of the city's watch, cast his eyes wildly about to get his bearings before pushing his way through the crowd and fleeing in panic from the square. He made his way quickly to the abandoned dyer shop, ducking into doors and alleyways here and there to make sure he was not followed. Taking a quick look around, he pushed his way into the shop and then headed into the dusty back room. He went into the small booth in the far back corner, only big enough for one person, and drew back the dusty black curtain, stepping inside. Once inside, he closed his eyes and turned around three times to the left, twice back to the right, and then once more to the left. Pushing the curtain aside, he barely stopped to consider how it was that he now stepped out onto the lower floor of a hexagonal tower, nor did he linger on any of the lower floors which were dusty, dark, and creepy. Instead, he rushed to the fifth floor. When he reached his destination, the chamber was dimly lit, same as the last time they had been here by four large candles sitting on the corner posts of a large black desk that dominated the center of the room. The witch was here, though she was hunkered over a nearby table, mumbling to herself as she studied a parchment. He stood quietly at the top of the stairs. It was only a brief moment before the witch turned to consider him. Her dull green eyes studied his beaten form for a moment before shuffling to her desk to slump down in her chair. Will your friends be joining us, Zarum? Esmeray asked, a hint of mockery in her tone. Zarum frowned and entered the room. Considering her for a moment, 
and then simply said, No. I see. And the item I requested. I have it. Good. Then I have your gold. Ten thousand, was it? Forty, Zorum replied. There was a god's dumb dragon. You owe me forty thousand. Ten thousand for each of us. It is my fortune that I am the only one who returned. Esmeray pondered his reply for a moment. If you provide me with the item, then you can have forty thousand. Though I was quite clear that Tower's resident was dangerous. Zoram's frown looked hideous on his frostbitten face. He reached into the bag of holding and withdrew the wooden box. Stepping to the desk, he placed it down and opened it, displaying the candles. Esmeray smiled as she gazed upon the contents, and for an eerie moment it seemed as if the same greenish light that drifted in the candles also flitted in her dull eyes. Zoram growled. Esmeray looked back at him and gestured to a chest behind her desk. Your gold is in there. Zoram left the box where he had sat it and made his way to the chest, opening it without delay, and began shoveling gold into his bag. Esmeray slowly swiveled her chair towards Zoram, considering him again before speaking. You have been very helpful, Zoram. And now that you are free of any companions, free, I dare say, of anyone who would miss you, you can be even more helpful to me still. Zoram froze, hand in the chest. From frozen to a flash of movement, Zoram grabbed for his sword and spun, unbelievably quick. Before he could even finish turning, Esmeray spoke a single word and made a dismissive gesture with her right hand. Zoram's eyes rolled back in his head as he collapsed, falling back against the chest, before sprawling limp onto the floor. Esmeray templed her fingers before her face, looking down on Zoram. Now, I have just one more item to retrieve. <laughs> A throaty cackle escaped her shriveled lips. And I know just... The person for the job. <laughs> Some evil has been ended in this world, but Zaram escaped, and Esmeray continues to plot and plan from the shadows. Join me next week for the beginning of a new tale, The Fox and the Rabbit. So what's the moral of the story? Uh, don't be a bad guy in Dungeons and Dragons or, yeah, the world or dragons are going to come and eat you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, this is the point where I say thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, really, really, really appreciate it. And if you have the time or the energy, please go on to whatever format you're listening and leave me a thumbs up, leave me five stars if you can, or get in contact with me and let me know what else you might like. Different stories, different format, anything I could do to make the show better. 
really means the world to me, and I really want to make the best show I can. So uh, that would be great. And that's that. Thank you so much again. I will see you soon, hopefully, to... Actually, I won't see you, right? Because we're not looking at each other. We're listening. But anyway, you'll hear me soon, and hopefully you listen soon. So thanks again. Plenty more stories to come.